Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second season of For the Love of Books podcast, featuring Indian small press authors and their events with host Emma Polova. Today, I will be chatting with Canadian author Caroline Topperman about her new book, Your Roots Cast a Shadow, which is a shocking family history story. At the end of the interview, Caroline will announce the details of her book giveaway of Tell Me What You See, a visual crown journal to help you see a world through a new lens. Caroline Topperman was born in Sweden, raised in Canada, with a recent stint of living in Poland. She holds, holds a BFA excuse me, in screenwriting. She has written articles for several publications, and she's the managing editor for non-binary review. She's owned a Pilates studio and even had a stint in real estate. Hello, Caroline. How are you today? I am good. How are you? Thank you for having me on your show. You're quite a world traveler and an entrepreneur. You ride a motorcycle, but you don't like pumpkin spice lattes. What's up with that? No pumpkin spice lattes for you? I can't do it. I try every year. Fall hits. My husband laughs at me. He buys one for himself, lets me take a sip. I spit it out and we move on for the next year. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> I okay, let's talk about your memoir first. Why did you decide to pen your family history? Um, I, I just think some stories can't be forgotten and need to be told. Um, when I moved to Poland um, in 2013, my husband and I sold everything that we, well, almost everything we owned, uh, material things. Uh, in, but we were living in Vancouver, we sold everything and we moved to Poland. And I just felt that there was such a story there that really should be shared. Um, some of the things that my grandparents went through, it, it's very unique and those stories are slowly dying. And, um, you know, not to get too political, but we can't escape politics, but, um, but um, my, you know, the po Polish government right now is doing their best to hide a lot of these stories and sweep them under the rug and they're changing street names and things like that. And I just think that these things can't be forgotten. Um, and then, you know, on the flip side of that too, I, when I was talking to friends here, I realized that what is normal and what people are comfortable with and know about in Eastern Europe, they don't know about here. They and don't. What I'm seeing happen in the world right now is scaring me to death. And I'm seeing the, you know, the rise of the neo-Nazism. I'm seeing um, a lot of, so my family, I come from a mixed family. My dad's side was Catholic, my mom's side Jewish. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm seeing anti-Semitism on the rise and I'm seeing false narratives coming out um, and it scares me. And I and so I think the more of us that have these stories that can lend our voices to the truth um, is is just important. That's, so how yeah. much research did you have to do, obviously, for this memoir? A lot. Um, I had to work. So I started with this actually when I was back in university. And I, 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 these are, this is an idea that's been spinning in my head for a very long time. And um, I, so I should say like my mother passed away in 1995. And around that time, you know, I realized there was my dad, 
<laughs> and very few other people. So I started interviewing him and just talking to him. And I've been one of those kids that always like to sit with the grownups and listen to the stories. So I would do that with him and he would just tell me stories. And when we moved to Poland, um, I got my hands, my grandfather actually wrote a book, not a memoir, but it was, it, he calls it a chronicle of events, which it really was in mm -hmm. Poland. And I got it from, um, it was in my mom's papers. And I, when I, my Polish got good enough to read, I sat down and I read the whole thing. And that was really hard. I'm just going to say um, a lot of nuances in the language. You know, I've always spoken Polish, but reading was different. And so yes. I read, I read his book and it really is, it's like a day by day of what happened to them uh, during the war and how they were fleeing. So that part of the family fled him and my grandmother maternal, they fled to Uzbekistan and they survived the war in Uzbekistan and then Moscow, and then they came back to Poland. And I realized that, you know, right now Uzbekistan is doing an actual recovery of all the people, all the Jews that survived the war over there. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's about 144,000. It's something around that number. Don't quote me on it, please. Um, no. So I did that. And then I realized that my grandfather, love him, saved all these letters that my mom used to write him when she was in Paris studying. Uh -huh. And then um, just before 1968, she had to, she had to flee Paris. He was kicked out of the government and um, she had to, and she, if she had gone back to Poland, she would have been arrested. Um, okay. He was actually one of three um, ministers to be kicked out of the government. The first three on the pretext that their sons were, uh, you know, causing trouble, but it's really because they were Jewish. And so she had to flee to meet my dad in Iraq and they lived there and then they moved back. And so it's just this constant movement in the family and my dad's family, actually, some of my dad's fondest stories are his childhood in Afghanistan. So just before oh my, goodness. War, my dad, my dad's family went to Afghanistan and his father was charged with building the highway from, uh, Jalalabad to Kabul and his mother so my maternal grandmother she actually convinced the local authorities to let girls wear shorts to gym class oh and I read that only, yeah and she was the only woman who was allowed to trade with the men in the market because she learned Farsi so you know it, and then I actually found a Polish Farsi dictionary that my grandfather made. It's just all handwritten. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, it's in a binder. And I have this dictionary that he did. And so there's, you know, and then that with the letters. And let me tell you, deciphering handwriting from 1950s and 60s was a challenge in itself. How did you do it? With a lot of crying. And my husband luckily speaks Polish too. So we would sit there with a magnifying glass, you know, looking at each page, trying to decipher the words. And I remember sending the letters to my dad sometimes going, I can't, I like, please help me. And my dad was hilarious because I, he did, he pulled the whole, oh, youth today don't know how to read cursive. And then I sent him the letter that he had written and he's like, I can't read this. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And so it was, it was that, it was a lot of letters. And then I had to go back and um, I just had to do a lot of studying too, because of course I know oh, yeah. events in 1968, but I had to, I had to learn all of that and learn what the fifth column was that they were talking about. And I had to just learn politics and all the things leading up to the war and everything just to, so I could have a good grasp of what was happening at the time. 
So yeah, a lot to answer your question. <laughs> oh, how long did it take you from the initial idea to your final finished product? Initial idea? That started in university, like 20 years. <laughs> then the actual writing. Once you, the, the butt time, I call it the butt in the chair time, the actual chair time. And the chair time, um, I would say from start to finish. So I, uh, it, okay, I, I, it's a bit of a cheat. So I actually wrote a different book that where it was a lot more, I incorporated things from my blog and tips and things like that. And well, I, that's not cheating. I do that all the time. But I took that one and then I dumped that one. I got feedback and I dumped that one and I rewrote this one. And I would huh? say this one took me maybe a year and a half to write. Okay. And then, and then, and then the work started with um, an editor. I found an editor to help me. Mm -hmm. I, I call her my mentor editor. One word. Mentor. Yeah, and she helped me with it, and that took about a year. Year with her, so yeah, about a year and a half altogether. Uh, do you have pictures in your memoir? Some family photos, or I have a lot. I haven't placed them in there right now but i certainly can because we have a lot of them and i still even have pictures that were saved by my dad's family from afghanistan from uh 1940 in afghanistan whoa that's kind of the first question i get about my memoir do you have pictures in your book so people really appreciate that even though it drives the cost of the book up but still it uh, relates people can better relate to the content i, I agree because i think you can see it you see it and you understand yeah. it because that's it creates that image for them so that mm -hmm. they really because it's so hard for us to create the image that yes. they can see it yeah so i do have them so yeah so did you get to travel around the world a lot with your parents well, I like to say that I traveled before I was even born. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, yeah, I was born like like you said. I was born in Sweden, and then before my at this point, my grandparents, my maternal grandparents, were living in Germany. So I we we met. Um, I, we went there for six months before coming to Toronto, and then what we would do is probably every other summer we would go visit my grandparents in Germany and from there we get in the car and we would drive somewhere and then we'd spend a summer living somewhere I, I I like to say that my mom was the first Airbnb'er because we would land in a place and my mom would call local real estate agents and she would just ask them she would say you know that we're here for x amount of time what can they show us and we'd spend the first day I am not kidding first day of vacation we'd spend running around looking at properties then we'd pick something and move in there and just live there for the summer. So we would shop with locals and everything. So that was always really fun. Did you always speak the languages of the different countries? Were you forced to do that to assimilate? Um, a little bit. So, I mean, I speak um, English, Polish and French. And my, my mom though, she was one of these amazing people where she could pick up a language in like five minutes. And I, I'm, you know, maybe exaggerating a little bit, but she, because she spoke, she could speak um, English, Polish, French, uh, Russian. She spoke some Yiddish even. Mm -hmm. She had like a little bit of German. She could speak some um, Italian, some Spanish. And so 
she could just adapt really easily. So we'd be somewhere and she would just start picking up words and suddenly, yeah, she was talking to people. So that was, that was really cool. It was just this weird way she could just integrate into wherever we were, into whatever society we were in. And did she like specifically your mother, this uh, nomadic lifestyle being like a gypsy? My mom hated it. She still hates it to this day. That's my big question for you. I think she did. I think she really did. I mean, the her when she when she was forced to leave Paris and move to Iraq, I, I that wasn't fun. Um, I think that was really hard on her because mm -hmm. culturally that was really tough for her. Plus, she didn't really have work or anything, and. Um, she was also extremely worried about her parents at the time because they were yes. in Poland and everything was happening. But yeah, I, you know, I think she did. I, there was one trip that she took me when I was 13 or 14, she took me to Paris. It was my first time in Paris and she wanted to show me where she had studied because she studied at the Ecole des Beaux-Arts. She was a painter and we walked around Paris. I, you know, she was even laughing that she was exhausted because of me. But we stopped in, um, we, you know, we stopped in, in Germany too on the way there. And for her, it was always an adventure to travel. And we never stayed in hotels. So it was really just get somewhere. And even if it was for a week, even if it was for a weekend, we lived there. We were, the, we were part of okay. the community. Okay. And I think it's, that's how she just approached all of that. That's how, that was her, um, her view of that. And did you enjoy all the traveling? Did it rub off on you, on your own lifestyle? I bet it did. Oh, it did, it did. I, I can't sit still. Um, the last couple of years have been really hard because we can't travel. And I, even when I don't travel, I move a lot. So when we, we lived in Poland with my husband for four and a half years and we lived in three different places. And even when we, when we were living in Vancouver, we, we were there from, uh, 2001 to 2013 and even there I, you know I, I, we lived in a whole bunch of places our families would laugh and they'd be like all right what's your address now because it, that's how I am I just need to move all the time I've been back in Canada for since 2018 mm -hmm. and I move this is our wait one two third place fourth place that we've <laughs> since 2018 <laughs> yeah definitely what was it like living in Poland post-communist era? Um, you know, so it hasn't been communism for a little while, but it was it was it was interesting. Um, at first, when we first got there, it was really exciting. Um, you could feel there was an electricity in the air and people were starting new businesses and yes. things were happening. And then the new government came in um, and that new government not so great and so yeah. there's definitely towards the end we were we um we did a, we were part, like did a lot of protests and marching and signing petitions and stopping them and and they had a, a they they were just very became very oppressive so that was a lot harder um one of the things that i realized that was so interesting too is just um when we got there i had been always told that warsaw was like the Paris of the East and the women had always been dressing up there and I got there and I didn't see that at all. And it was so bizarre. And then I realized that probably a lot of that was because, you know, I realized that who teaches you about 
makeup and clothing and all of that your parents do your your mom mostly right if you're a female right. and I realized that a lot of them because of communism didn't have that and mm -hmm. so it was them starting anew and trying to figure it out themselves yeah. that was one thing that I found was really interesting and the other thing I found was it was really hard to make friends at first because they have this you know we we use the words friend or acquaintance that's normal mm -hmm. but yeah. for them it's really it's it's really serious because <laughs> friends are the people you grew up with you went to school with you because people there don't leave they they sort of stay, they stay in one place yeah. so those were your those were your friends and everyone else is mostly an acquaintance so kind of breaking through those barriers because like you know i'm stubborn and i don't i don't i don't buy into that i'm doing what i want so breaking through those barriers was also quite a challenge sometimes must have been so why did you leave? I thought you were that you moved there to stay there, or did you go there only to do research for your no. book? No. I was happy to say we we went we so we spent a total of four and a half years there. Um, we had agreed ahead of time because it was me mostly driving this move, but we had agreed ahead of time that it would be probably about five years that we would live there. That was, and then we reassess and see where we are. Okay. And, my my husband got his dream job he got his dream job he got poached from the company he was working at and he came and we came back to canada and that's that's why that and you know it did get a little hard to live there as um i bet uh, you know, and there was a lot i, I even witnessed a lot of anti-semitism um oh. just on the street so it really did get a little it started to get unpleasant how's that and i think i could have I don't know. I'd like to think I would have stayed and fought through all of that. But my husband, he was he was he really, I think at that point had had enough of that. I'm glad you came back. <laughs> what are the major takeaways from your family memoir? Um, so I think the biggest thing is to not be judgmental at face value so i mean we can say racism that's a big one it's the the idea of going in and experiencing a culture and listening to a culture and leaving your judgment at the door and really keeping that open mind um and understanding that there are some things um that sort of transcend culture um or sorry transcend race, race. <laughs> like food food and um and um cultural things food music things that we can share even if we're from a different country different race different upbringing because you know when you go for food that's that's one of those things that sort of transcends all of that um that would be one and then the other sort of big overarching theme is you know how to make home where's home what's home what is home? home i agree 100 percent. those are very in-depth insights that people gain by reading memoirs like this what do you feel you did right with your book in your book and what would you have done differently as far as the structure of the book, the characters, everything. So I, I had a 
with this book at first um, because I am weaving three stories I'm or four or five I don't know I'm weaving my parents story I'm weaving my two sets of grandparents well really one set because I didn't know the other one very well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then story and I had somebody I had editors uh, and people actually say that I should make it into um, uh, historical nonfiction and like make it, or sorry, not nonfiction, historical fiction, make it fiction, which I was dead set against. I just didn't think that it needed that. Um, and I, so that's one thing. And uh, um, that's what I'm, I'm really proud of sticking to my guns and keeping it real. Um, and as far as what I would do differently, I don't know. Maybe I'll still have. I I have to. Maybe I'll change the structure still. So it starts off with my story and weaves. It goes back in time. We move. We move back and forth a little bit. Um, we have to. But maybe maybe more interviews with people. I have some that I that I found um, that I used. It's always helpful interviews with you know the people who were there as opposed to us. Yes, yeah, which I did do, but maybe more. Maybe more, yeah. I wish I had done more, but it wasn't possible to do any more. That's the thing, at some point, you want people to read it too. Yeah, that's true. So you're pitching your memoir to agents right now. How is that going? I get those questions a lot from author listeners. How is it going the whole traditional way of publishing? You know, I actually like it. I have to say, I'm one of those weird people that I'm having fun with this. One of the things that I think, and you know, th this actually, I think one of the things that helped me tremendously, one of the things that I really um, am proud of doing too, is doing the full book proposal, because it really helped me hone in on who my reader is, um, who right. I'm writing for, how I'm writing this, how I'm seeing this book in the world. Mm -hmm. so, um, I really act. It, that's a, it's a it's a big thing to do. It, my book's like fifty pages of you know marketing, but I really liked it, and I really liked finding the comps and all of that. Um, I really like doing the query letter. That part is so much fun for me because again, you're really honing in on the essence of what your book is, how you want it to look and seeing if what you're thinking actually man matches what you wrote because you know, that's another issue. There are two different things. Sometimes. And, and I, I don't mind pitching agents. I mean, I started a couple of months ago. So, so far, not much. I did have an agent um, recently email me within a couple of hours of pitching she emailed me that she emailed me this one line she's like I think this would be the perfect opening for your book and I was like great and then I haven't heard anything back um so I you know but that's the um but I don't I don't mind I mean I I might change my mind later and just and decide to go with a smaller press or self-publish or something um but for now I'm I'm kind of having fun with this experience and I and there, I've had, I do have, with the first time I tried it, I've, I had agents actually send me feedback and I welcome that feedback. Um, oh yes, that's yeah. helpful. Exactly. So mm -hmm. I, so, so that's the part that I'm, I'm, I, you know, it's, it's a hard and it's very hard writing, stressing for half a day about writing an email, pushing send, and then absolutely nothing happens. And that's the, Are we that's, that's that's like that's the part where you want to bang your head into a wall, but it's okay. You know, I'm fine with that. I know that that's what's gonna happen. 
I'm part of Facebook groups where people talk about that. So it's okay. So what sets you apart from other authors in your genre? Right now we're talking about memoirs. So those are pretty specific, but do you feel you have a different approach or? Um, you know, I'm sure there's other people who have similar stories. I think one of the stories is my story is quite unique because I have the um, quite a bit of the religion, the two sides, the uh, Jewish and Catholic, which you don't see very often. No, um, not really. Right, that's a big one. Um, also, my upbringing a little bit different as well because I there's similar books where people have gone back to research their family story. But yes. my family story was always part of that. I, you know, I knew my grandparents; they didn't die. Mm -hmm. they, they're, they're Holocaust survivors, but not in a camp. They survived by going to you know fleeing mm -hmm. so far out to Uzbekistan, like you know, and um, right, that's amazing. And then the other thing too in here is because I actually went and lived in Poland for a little bit, I think too. That does make a difference. To be there. And so I think that that's what makes it stand out because I do marry the idea of, you know, I speak Polish, but I went and I, and I was like, wow, I get it. I get when people are really mean about people who have accents because mm -hmm. I can't, I, every time I walked down the street, every time I opened my mouth, there was a discussion about my accent and where I'm from. And people had left Poland and come back and had completely lost their language. So I had people accusing me of losing Polish. And I was like, I wasn't even born here. The fact that I speak this well should be impressive. Um, I had people, suddenly no one could pronounce my name because my name is with a C, not a K. So it's not Carolina, it's Caroline. And people couldn't wrap their heads around it. And because I was, my last name when I was born was Wichsitzki, which is Polish. Obviously my parents, when they were in Sweden, changed it to Topperman. But I went to Poland with Topperman and no one can say Topperman. It is this weird foreign, uh, difficult to pronounce last name. And so suddenly I was bombarded with all of that. And so that was actually really an interesting experience for me having to deal with that. and go into stores and I finally figured out that I would just smile my best and biggest smile and say, I'm sorry, I haven't learned that word yet. Can you explain it to me? And people would laugh. But I that was like how I had to overcome that because it, it was hard. It was and then I actually wound up teaching Pilates there for a while too. And again I had to figure out suddenly like I would be researching muscle names in Polish before I go in to teach my class. Um, so that was the that was the kind of strange fun part of it too which makes it different because my experience is going back i guess but what was i going back or was i going to a new to me country that's the that's the big question it's it's yeah. uh, you know my roots are there but i don't feel polish in that way i don't i don't a lot of that just does, i don't really relate to a lot of that so and would you like to share one of your most interesting events or whatever has happened to you at an either in-person author event or during one of your cool stints? You were part of making a movie, right? You sold real estate, no? Yeah. <laughs> so okay, any so of these. So one of the coolest things I, okay, well, so I mean, probably like the big one that I laugh at when people ask me like one of the three things, you know, those three things that have happened to you. So when I owned my Pilates studio, um, 
it was, I had, I trained Penelope Cruz. She told me that I was the first person who taught her how to do sit-ups properly. So that was pretty cool. Um, that is very cool. <laughs> that is cool. So I got to meet celebrities that way, which was really fun, actually. That was, that was pretty cool. All righty. Would you like to read to us, Caroline? Absolutely. So this is a piece from um, Your Roots Cast a Shadow. It's never been read aloud before. So this is like its debut moment. It's in the middle of a chapter. Should make sense. Um, and okay, here I go. So my father had an eye for jewelry and every now and then he would pull out the jewelry he had bought my mother in Iraq. Visiting his brother's home in Warsaw, my father walked me through the treasures once amassed by the family. There is even a collection at the Asia Pacific Museum that has been donated there without my father's consent. That was back when he was still estranged from the family. I take him there one afternoon on the spur of the moment, ask if we can speak with the director. What's the worst that can happen, she'll say no. As it turns out, she's very welcoming and offers to take us upstairs to the museum's storage area where we see the beautiful jacket woven with gold thread that my grandfather had once presented to my grandmother. We are shown old carafes and jugs sitting in cold storage. Surrounded by amazing artifacts, I have another idea. Would it be possible to include my dad's name on the donor list, I ask? These pieces belong to him as much as they do to his brother. My father's family has conveniently left him out of the story, but at the museum, it is immediately agreed that his name should appear as well. One of the highlights of living in Poland is that art is so accessible. I realized I've really missed this. In Toronto, I had always been part of the theater and art scene, not so in Vancouver. Although beautiful, and there's definitely something to be said for living by the ocean, Vancouver didn't feed my soul. Here in Warsaw, there are tiny hidden galleries everywhere and theater performances are inexpensive by North American standards. In Canada, going to a theater or dance performance is a treat. In Warsaw, where $50 gets you a prime seat, I go as often as I can. One of the highlights is the SS, the Student Satirical Theater Reunion in October. Seeing the old timers act like a bunch of unruly teenagers is heartwarming. No reading is complete without someone being a smart ass. Actors and directors reminisce about the good old days. When official photos need to be taken, no one is listening or behaving themselves. The next generation or two is there and just as engaged as the originals. They are keeping art and culture alive. They are, in a word, invested. In Warsaw, I also see firsthand the kinds of things my parents prized in their home country. Every time we walk by the art university where my mother went to school, my dad points out the building every single time and we walk by it a lot. No matter where they lived as immigrants, they appreciated art and craft. Sometimes it's the quotidian things they cherished. All throughout my childhood, they wore the authentic clogs they bought with them, they brought with them from Sweden. And it was never just about the things from far away. My dad taught me how to sew and embroider so I could mend my jeans or rips in my sweaters rather than discard them. An embroidered flower does wonders to keep a loved outfit looking charming and new. I can't tell you how many weekends were spent traveling through Ontario searching for antiques. My mother had an eye for them as well. It turns out the best pieces of furniture can be found behind the store with the restored furniture or in people's barns. From my mother, I learned to stay true to my own style. I learned to always strive for something better. Best of all, I learned to haggle. 1990 Morocco, 
I watched as my mother walked brazenly into a store, picked out some things like, say, a necklace or a pair of earrings, and took them to the salesperson along with a black and white handmade bag I wanted. Then she haggled until she got everything she wanted for a fraction of the price. When I remember, remember what I remember of Morocco is looking, always looking at all the wonderful things, I remember what I saw even more than I recall the rich aromas of the spice-lined streets. Excellent. <laughs> Love the atmosphere of haggling. Been there, done it. <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> all right. Can you announce the details of your book giveaway of Tell Me What You See? It's a journal of prompts and photographs. Yeah, so this is a book that I created for people when they're stuck and just want to write and think of something new and they have a bit of a block or something or they want to work through some ideas. Um, for the record, I took all the photos in the book myself. So when you get that, just so you know. Um, so the what I'm looking for is the first email that comes to Caroline, C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, at styleontheside.com. That's my blog, you can look that up too. Um, with the subject heading podcast giveaway, I will send you a signed copy of my book. And you'll have to understand that with our postal service, it might be a little slow. It but might I take will. weeks, but it'll get here. <laughs> and it'll be worth it because <laughs> it's a fun book. And actually a lot, there's a lot of images that I took from Poland. Oh, okay. Um, you traveled around to so you'll get almost oh. a visual history of what I saw oh nice yeah. okay before we do our parting shots I would like to thank our main sponsor Doc Chavez Caroline give us your parting shots you are my guest you go first <laughs> Uh, you know what, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. Um, and thank you for letting me talk about my family story. And I mean, I can't wait to read yours because I find that these stories are so important to yes. learn about and hear about. And I think they just make us better and richer people. So thank you, thank you very much. Yeah. And my parting shots are buy indie, read indie and write indie. Keep your fingers on the keyboard and your butt in the chair. Thank you for listening. Bye.